0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. The excitement's brought to you by my company, Bull Realty, for Asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or give me a call personally. Well, this show is about office tenant strategies. I think it's very interesting what's going on in the office world. You know, people, companies are more concerned with recruiting, with retention, with wellness, always been concerned about productivity, always concerned about costs. Now we have some other things to add to the, the list like culture. And, and really, the recruiting and wellness part, I think, is a big part of the industry. So we're going to talk about some tips today for office tenant strategies. So if you're a landlord or you anyway work in the commercial real estate business, uh, I think you're going to like it. We're going to talk to some office tenant reps who do a lot of business and get some tips from them. And we're going to talk to an architect about some design and some things, some mistakes uh, that, you don't, that you want to avoid and some uh, tips and strategies there. And then I'll also uh, relay some ideas because I work with a lot of tenants and uh, I'll give you some ideas of my own. Well, please welcome my first guest, it's Bill Coons. And Bill Coons is President and Founder of Facilitech and he's joining us in Studio One. Bill, thanks for being with us. Sure, thank you for letting me come. Well, uh, Bill, I've I've known you for a while because you helped us design our space uh, here at our corporate office and we certainly get um, uh, a lot of uh, accolades for your work. Great, that's a good. <laughs> so, so thanks, thanks for doing it. And uh, you know, I'd like to start out with with some ideas from you, Bill, because you help a lot of companies with their architecture, project management, procurement. You help them with the design. You help them with the process. You help them with the furniture, the move, everything. And and you work real closely with tenant reps like me, you know, around Atlanta and, and really around the country now on some larger projects. So as you work with these companies, you've done it for years. You're seeing some trends. You're seeing some changes. You know, what are some things that, tenants may want to avoid, like what's, what's real important to them and when they're getting started in the process?
1: Well, you you mentioned a lot of things in your opener about uh, the culture, wellness and all those things, but, but real estate still is pretty core as it was a lot of years ago, as far as the economics, you know, what, what kind of space am I looking for? How do you compare those spaces? So I think the first thing you got to do is you really got to be prepared to step away in our world from the design and help support the real estate deal by putting the economics of the deal together, putting the timeline of the deal together so you have time to make good choices, and then work as a cohesive team that's probably worked more than once together with a a similar philosophy to what the client's trying to achieve.
0: Right. And I think that's really key to have the right team. So you really need an office tenant rep uh, that knows what they're doing, uh, understands your needs. Also, you need a a lawyer that understands uh, office leases and and that sort of thing. Uh, You need an architect. And then on on a company like yours, you do more than just the architecture part. So tell us about the rest of the team.
1: Well, um, my whole history has been design and real estate and all those pieces that move with that. And so through my experiences, uh, whether it was Kentucky where I started or up in the Manhattan area or here in Atlanta for the last 26 years, the dynamics are pretty similar. Um, You've really got to put a team together that can facilitate um, what the client is trying to achieve. So... When it comes to um, the deal to start with, once they've found the space, everything's a moving piece. So if we can just bring all those pieces together on the front side, it really helps the client to understand.
0: Right. And you really want the, your team to understand your objection, your, your, your objectives, right? Right. <laughs> and <laughs> what's really important to you as a company, as we were talking earlier, Maybe things like m- maybe you eventually want to sell your business, right? Right. So you might want a space design that, that, that's set up for it
1: we have a client right now that's that's positioned themselves that way for about, and the, the space they're taking is about 40,000 feet. Mm-hmm. So they want to keep their rent rate down. They want to do the minimum amount of change to the space. They want to get from point A, to point B, but at the same time, they want to find a space that's going to help them bring in um, the kind of staff that's going to make that company more valuable. So it's, it's, a, it's a moving challenge with every client. Right, and it's different. So sometimes it might be culture, right? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, everyone likes to talk about millennials, and uh, uh, of course I'm a boomer, and uh, I like to think of myself as a, a millennial in a boomer body and be kind of an open thinker, but at the same time, um, you do have to compete for those that staff, whatever age group it is. And if you don't create spaces, they have so many choices today. Uh, every, you, you know, you compete for um, employees on every level and facility just as one of those pieces.
0: Yeah, yeah, and some of the trends you're seeing, you know, you're, you're helping the, all these companies with a lot of different space designs and we've seen a lot of push for uh, more employees per, per square footage. Right, more dense office uses. What are some of the trends you're seeing related to to that, to to benching and and more square footage per employee?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, uh, we've seen uh, the denseness of space get to the point that the buildings can't support it. Uh, Not enough parking, uh, the mechanicals can't support it. The building isn't physically built for the head count that they're trying to put in some of these spaces. We've also seen that be a challenge with clients that uh, what they asked for, they got. In other words, they got a great real estate deal with high density, but they're losing some of their cultural aspects of the company that are starting to work against them. So there's a lot of ways that that can go, but um, what I would tell people is that every space needs to be um, built to support your business goals. And if that is a, um, uh, a dense space, that's one thing, but you can make it on the real estate side and give it away in the uh, productivity of your organization as well.
0: Yeah I think uh, more and more uh, people do not want to be crammed together real close to everybody on a on a bench type setup or something.
1: Yeah there's there's a lot of articles out there just google benching office or however you wanted to go about it and you'll see uh, that that's not a true success story but I think we're, we're finding that happy place where um, that can be part of it, um, a more open environment, kind of like a student center that you would see when these young people graduate from school, and then just giving them places they can go to and actually work. Uh, so there is a good trend. We're going in the right direction. We may be not there yet. We kind of swung it from one way to the other side, and now we're kind of finding our middle.
0: Yeah, and I think that's interesting to the audience to kind of see, because we went to a lot of open space, right? And there's been some pushback because people are really concerned about recruiting and retention. Um, what, what kind of trends are you seeing about percentage of open versus private office spaces?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to, you know, we talk about that a lot, but what I would probably redirect uh, that slightly is creating spaces that are transparent. In other words, where people can work and they can feel free to work at a desk, they can feel free to work in the break room, they can feel free to work in a soft seating area or in a a room that's closed. Um, But you see a lot of glass. You do, you're always gonna see that openness. Uh, Acoustics is continuing to be an issue, but um, I think that's, the right place to go to. And then, um, as we had talked earlier, everybody doesn't have to own a desk just because of um, they're in a full-time employee. Um, technology has given us the ability to really be productive everywhere.
0: So are you seeing your designs with uh, less open space than you used to because of needing some of these? privacy areas?
1: Not necessarily yeah. less open space. Yeah. I mean, stations have gone smaller. Um, uh, panels have gone down or gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're seeing is, is people have a place to do the kind of work they need. And if that's sit at a um, what we'll call a, a workplace that's no more than a work surface and a chair, and they can be productive there, that's good. That's open. If they need um, confidentiality, you're probably going to see an office that's smaller, but it's also going to have uh, glass across the front of it, most likely, so they can have that um, ability to talk in confidence. And, uh, and, but you might see somebody with no shoes on, with their <laughs> one leg under, underneath their bottom, mm-hmm. with a laptop on them, and they're just killing it. So. Right,
0: right, that's true. So wh- what are you seeing with furniture or, when people are designing office space today and they need some private areas, Uh, in their office. Are you seeing more people create that private areas, if you will, with furniture uh, than you used to? uh, Or are they still kind of building walls?
1: Uh, Well, it's both. Um, I I think the furniture industry is trying to address those types of spaces and doing a pretty good job at it. But uh, in our particular case, since we're managing construction budgets and furniture budgets and all the other budgets, uh, really it's, we address it, you can address it both ways. And so, Furniture's doing a good job of creating some of these quiet spaces where people can work. Mm-hmm. But many times, um, you know, we've, we've created what we call phone booths or huddle rooms or um, quiet spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, ours, we have a couple of them. We call them timeouts. We think we're funny by doing that. But, <laughs> <Time> uh, <laughs> You've been bad. You that's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. I think they're telling me something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what about wellness. What's the trends there? Are more and more of uh, the tenants and off corporate users concerned about wellness?
1: Wellness is huge. It's mm-hmm. it's just the next uh, uh, step in creating a uh, what we're all chasing, which is that perfect space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and wellness is uh, not only part of the building, but it's just part of the environment. How dense you have a space, how pleasant a space it is, how much light comes into the space. I mean, Wellness is a, is a big issue, and, mm-hmm. but I think it's not just the physical wellness of people, but the mental wellness of people. And yeah. you, you even mentioned the fact that you have fresh flowers delivered every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that says something to people. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about messaging. Wellness and messaging, I think, are tied very closely together.
0: Bill, well, you're hurting my reputation out there. Fresh flowers every day. You don't have to tell people.
1: <laughs> Michael, you're gonna you're gonna have to man up on that.
0: <laughs> okay, and and we'll put a link to another show we did that's just about wellness. You can now get a wellness certification for your building or for your office space, and it's and it's pretty incredible. Well, what would you leave our audience with related to space or our mistakes to avoid or trends?
1: Yeah. Well, I I, I guess because of my um, lot of years of experience, uh, I would tell people that if you can't see tangible value in the people you're working with, they can't prove that to you, they can't show that to you because everybody talks about value, um, then I would say be careful of the team you're hiring because um, you should be able to measure anything you're doing and what we do. So if it's the square footage you're taking, if it's the rate you're paying, it's the money you're spending on equipment, the value of that equipment, um, technology or whatever, it's all measurable and I think if you come out feeling that you've uh, got great value, then you've probably done all you can do in this world of always chasing the shiny object. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: uh, One thing that you guys did with me when we designed our space that I thought was very valuable to me as, as a user, as you took me around, and, and we and we looked at a lot of spaces, and and we looked at furniture that was in use at places, and we ended up with these really cool pots. Uh, and if you're watching the video, we'll we'll show them to you. But um, you know, it, and so when I saw them in action, I'm like, okay, now I see, now I get it. Because I think as an architect, you have a way of, of visioning things a little better than I think the normal person, right? <laughs> like, you know, what's that going to look like? I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, um, when I first got out of school, nobody saw any type of imagery. They saw something that was either plan view, two-dimensional, an Mm -hmm. elevation or whatever, and it seemed to work out. Now we can actually draw the room before they ever build it, and Mm -hmm. then somehow it's slightly different. So I I do think it's important to not only get out and see um, what we think is the right answer, but to actually, if you have an opportunity to talk to somebody that has a similar answer in play already, is it working for them or is yeah. it not? So I think that's us visiting some spaces might yeah. have helped in that. Yeah, way. I think
0: it did help. And, and you've shown this space before. And if you like to see a space that, that, that they designed, that's pretty cool. There's a, t- a television radio studio in the middle of the space. And when you're in the cafe, you can see it. And there's a lounge and there's these open pods and there's a lot of glass and there's a lot of light. Um, and there's a game room and a tech room and it all kind of works together real cool and I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for being with us on the show today. Absolutely, it was fun to
1: do this space and it's always enjoyable to be here.
0: All right, thanks Bill. Well, stay with us. We're gonna interview some tenant reps that are very, are very experienced and done some great deals. They're gonna provide some great strategies, tips, and mistakes to avoid. Stay with us, I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money of course you would visit realcrowd.com choose between core core plus value add or opportunistic visit realcrowd.com
1: would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office check out michael bulls video training since you're a show listener you receive 10% off your first purchase at checkout, use discount code CRE show. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.
0: Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I am Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by BOMI.org. That's B O M I. Check them out for facilities and property management training and courses, bomi.org. Well, today we're talking about office tenant strategies, and we've heard from an architect and design uh, gentleman about what's going on there. Well, now let's talk to a tenant rep who helps companies and has been doing it for a very long time. Please welcome Richard Rhodes. He's a principal with Cressa, and he works out of their Washington, D.C. office, and he's joining us on the phone again. Richard, good to talk to you again.
2: Thanks, Mike. It's not nice to be back. Appreciate it.
0: So, Richard, what have you been doing? This about 37 years now? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's funny you ask. Yesterday was the end of my 34th year 34. in representing tenants
0: crazy. That's great. So you think you're going to make it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> make it where? <wear. laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Richard, you, you guys are helping a lot of tenants. You're seeing a lot of trends and there seems to be a lot of changes going on in the way people and companies use office space. And I wanted to get from you, kind of what you're seeing from your desk kind of firsthand on trends. So um, first of all, what are you seeing for square footage per employee in Trends there? It seems like We've been packing them in. Uh, Is that changing? What do you see?
2: Yeah, I think it is changing. Um, You know, we went from the traditional look, which was office along the perimeter um, and even office on the interior, to the next iteration, which was open planning on the interior, to the next iteration, which was offices on the interior and open planning on the window. And I think as a result of the financial crisis of 2008-2009, Real estate uh, took it on the chin, and that was one of the major expenses tenants were looking to uh, reduce. So they did that by packing as many people as they could in as little space as they could. And they sold it as you know a better culture, better communication, better, better uh, collision opportunities. And I think that that worked for a while. And you get the sense of the last years that it has begun to backfire, there's a loss of privacy. Uh, it's not necessarily a noise issue. I think people are generally courteous. Um, but it is not what it was cracked up to be. It's too crowded, and there's not enough area for small meetings, large meetings, private phone calls, etc. So the trends we're seeing now is coming off of that uh, highly dense space, which, by the way, got down as low as 150 feet per person or less, wow. to something in between mm-hmm. – where, yes, the, um, the systems furniture solution is still a good solution. I see many tenants who don't even go with private offices, but have a tremendous amount of huddle areas, uh, small conference space, areas in an office where an individual can come in and work in four or five different locations if they wanted to. They may have an assigned seat. They may not. Uh, but even if they do, they may go work at a counter high top in the uh, all-purpose room or pantry, if you will, uh, a small booth. So tenants are designing their spaces to be completely flexible, allow people to come and go and work where they want easily.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. And uh, we're seeing the same thing. Now, when you talk about the, the trends were to cram people in, uh, you know, bench them almost to get them close together less less space and now you're starting to see a change and you think also of the timing you know if you look back after the recession uh, unemployment was high it was harder for people to get jobs and keep jobs not employment's tight and people and companies are really concerned about recruiting and retention so is that creating some of the the trend towards uh, more space per employee?
2: No I, th- I, I think it is mm-hmm. I think it is you, you know yes uh, Someone used to use the example that a, a, an, an attorney comes out of law school and he knows he's going to get paid $75,000 no matter where he goes. Mm-hmm. So what's the sell point? The sell point often becomes the facility itself, the working environment. You know, what are you giving this person that perhaps is different or at least equal to what he might or she might get somewhere else? So I, I do think that the working environment Um, And and we talk to our clients all the the time about, you know, your space speaks for who you are. And the moment you walk in that suite entry, if it doesn't tell your story, you're missing an opportunity there on so many levels, not just recruiting.
0: Yeah, and it's it's some of that challenge when we're we're working with tenants and companies and trying to get them to understand how powerful their space can be for recruiting, for retention, for productivity, for image... Uh, when they're very cost conscious, when they really concentrate on the cost, the cost, the cost, is that part of is that part of the challenge to get them to think about it? Hey, your your office space may cost you very little uh, in the scheme of things if it increases your productivity.
2: Yeah, I think we want to be careful with costs, and maybe we'll talk about construction costs. But it's not necessarily cheaper to build a wide open space versus private offices, which is a bit of a a misnomer. But I do think there's cost savings down the road because the more egalitarian the space is, the easier it is to handle things like uh, advanced employees, you know, promotions. You don't worry about moving someone into a bigger office. You don't have six sized offices or stations in the space. So you find other ways to, to reward basically.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned rising construction costs. So what are you doing with clients, Richard, to sort of mitigate and, and manage the process? Because I'm sure you're seeing construction costs really rise.
2: Yeah, and I think there's, there's three reasons, uh, the, the typical reasons, which are uh, high demand. So the uh, subcontractors are busy. They don't have to take jobs. And if they do, they're going to charge you. Labor costs, uh, excuse me, material costs have also risen for the same reason, demand. And then there's the federal government's recent tariffs on, on imports, et cetera, which is definitely uh, having an impact already on construction costs and will going forward. It is very tricky now because, yes, you have higher tenant improvement allowance being offered to tenants in order for landlords to maintain their rental rates, uh, but you're not necessarily going to be able to cover Everything. We used to be able to cover construction costs, move costs, cabling, wiring, security, signage, all through free rent and tenant improvement allowance. I think in many, many cases you can still do that. But sometimes now we're using the landlord as a bank to amortize additional costs, or we're using the tenant's uh, financial uh, options to uh, amortize additional costs. We're running into that period now that I remember, if you remember, we were getting all our drywall from China many years ago, and that price skyrocketed. And the result was tenants didn't move as much. They ended up renegotiating and staying in their space. Uh, We could be entering that similar condition over the next year or two.
0: Well, that's interesting. And I guess for existing landlords, uh, that is good news. So what are some other trends you see kind of forming right now, for the way people use office space or, or negotiate or build out spaces? Well, I
2: think we covered a lot of it. I, I just think uh, flexibility is key. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, tenants fall down on both sides of the line as to whether or not they're in favor of hoteling or not. That is still... I mean, it's going, this discussion has been going on for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Is it a good thing or not to save space but lose the synergies that come with being together? Uh, That's unresolved. I think most of my clients would like to see people in their space, so they solve that problem by creating flexible work schedules uh, that aren't quite as extreme as hoteling or flexible office space, as we talked about before, giving the people um, the the option to work where they want. By the way, the key to that is technology. So if you're going to spend your money anywhere, you have to be at the highest level of technology to offer the greatest level of flexibility within your space so that you might call that a trend and the other trend of course is uh is the office furniture companies who are trying to keep up with changing demands or in many cases they lead the way you know the um the the, the other trend is you don't see 6 and 8 foot workstations or desks anymore they're 4 and 5 feet because they're so compact and the storage is built in and things are just more efficient around you uh within reaching distance so You know, I'd say furniture and technology, uh, as they always have, but maybe more so today, are are playing a major role in in trends, if you would.
0: Right, and furniture and technology can really create a lot more flexibility for you, right? So when you need to to change offices, sometimes if you're using furniture, uh, that's a lot easier way to do it. So um, before you go, I'd like you to share with our audience the maybe the top two or three mistakes that tenants should make sure they avoid uh when they're renewing a lease or are looking for new space
2: yeah so and and you and I have talked about this in the past, and my attitude has not changed. I think the biggest mistake tenants make is they undervalue negotiating flexibility, everybody's always focused on bottom line sometimes, and I like to empty all the buckets, of course, as a tenant rep but mm-hmm even if I have to pay a touch more to get a termination option or a contraction option or an expansion option or even a renewal option, which, you know, you don't use a lot. You typically renegotiate. These are critical, critical points in a negotiation. It is so challenging, especially in today's world of rising construction costs, to get enough money or enough concessions to cover relocation without doing, forget a 10-year deal these days, 11, 12, 13, 15-year deals now. So, great, you can keep your rent stabilized, you can maximize your concession package, but you're stuck unless you have these flexibility clauses. And if you're of a significant size, and I'll call that one floor or greater, you should be able to get multiple options in your lease, especially these long-term deals. So, that's, that's that's, that's the biggest mistake I see tenants make, is we'll go in and we'll see, oh my goodness... They're locked in for 12 years. They have no out. They have no right to contract. They have no expansion capabilities. That's that's an oversight.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a good point. And but some of those um, rights can be very expensive, right? But if you ha- at least you have the option there, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a uh, look. You have the right to sublease. You have the lease expiring. You have a right to terminate. By the way, we use the termination option all the time to leverage a renegotiating the event the tenant's rent has gone over market. uh, The landlord doesn't want to lose the tenant. The tenant has to look at other options and perhaps staying is the right move. Well, you know, they have the right to get out and leave unless the landlord wants to adjust to market. So there are lots of ways to use these options. Options are, by definition, one way. So they have economic value. Um, I mean, we've traded signage options for cash before because we had a right to signage. Turned out we didn't need. It. So landlord bought it back from us for six figures. I mean there are opportunities out there. You want to empty those buckets if you if they're available to you.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. One more final question for you, Richard, before you go, and that's about timing. So give me an idea of what you uh, what companies should think about as far as how how far out in advance should they get out and start planning for a move or a renewal.
2: Yeah, a lot of it is driven by, by size. But so, again, I'll use the full-floor example for, for now. Um, working backwards, if you're moving and you need to do build-out, and let's assume it's from a shell or from a space that has, has to be substantially gutted, you need 90 to 120 days to build. In most markets, you need somewhere between three weeks and eight weeks for permits. You need between six weeks and eight weeks to do drawings. These days, leases are taking two to three months to negotiate, so I don't know what I have there, but I'm, I'm thinking that's 10 or 11 months right there. Mm-hmm. And then we have to do our job, which is locating space, negotiating proposals, running cash flow analysis, perhaps getting internal board approvals. That could be another nine or 10 months. So I mm-hmm. like, I like uh, 22 months to 24 months. If you are a large user that has the capability of kicking off a building or having a building built for you, I would extend that by another year. So you want to get started probably three years out. It is better to have too much time than too little time. I would much rather be chased than be the chaser. You do not (laughs) want your back up against the wall with a lease coming up.
0: Very good point. Very good point. And I guess you also want to think about not just the time that you're Maybe your current lease expires, but maybe from the time that you have to give notice if you're going to renew?
2: Yep, that's the trigger, right? Yeah. Everything has to be done by then, uh, otherwise the landlord knows it's too late for you. Your current landlord knows he pretty much has you.
0: <laughs> that's right. Well, Richard, good information as usual. Thank you for joining us, sir.
2: Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Richard. Great information. and. Uh, Stay with us. We're going to have more. We're going to have another professional and get his view on office tenant strategy. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking for proven property management and facilities management education? Visit BOMI.org. That's B-O-M-I, Building Owners and Managers Institute International. They are the trusted source for education in the property and facilities industry. Visit BOMI.org. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, creshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I am Michael Ball. This segment is brought to you by RealCrowd, crowdfunding with the professionals. Visit realcrowd.com. Today we're talking about office tenant strategies. I think a very important uh, topic today because office use has kind of been changing over the over the years and uh, seems to be still in a, in a state of flux. Please welcome my next guest, is Bob Chodas, and Bob is Vice Chairman with Newmark Knight Frank. And his office is in Chicago. Bob, thanks for uh, joining us again.
3: Thanks, Michael. Glad to be part of it.
0: Well, Bob, uh, you've uh, been doing this for 35 years. And so uh, I've had you on the show several times. And uh, I appreciate the insight. And I think, uh, you know, tenant uh, corporate environments seem to be changing don't they what what do you see changing in your world from your desk when you're dealing with these tenants today are there other are spaces changing are there needs changes are there concerns changing
3: i think the answer to those those questions is yes to all uh, the the workplace has become a very dynamic environment today. And uh number one, two, and three drivers are access to labor, m- more access to labor, and access to smarter labor. And uh that's what we're seeing today. And to attract the kinds of workers that companies need today, they need to provide sort of compelling workplaces that not only create an environment where people want to be there, but that has the technology overlay and the equipment and systems that help them be be far more productive. So in the workplace today, we're seeing uh, corporates, corporations, professional service companies, partnerships, all deploying uh, very high-end design and very high-end enabled, technology-enabled workplaces to attract and retain their key commodity, which is their employees.
0: Yeah. So when you list the order of importance or a tenant, you ask a tenant to list Order of importance to to their next base. So, recruiting retention uh, that that labor part of their business is usually right at the top.
3: That's it's, today. Uh, there's just an absolute hunt for talent in in our marketplace in specific. You know, Chicago is the central hub of a five state region that um, within a you know a 200 mile radius is graduating 122,000 students a year, 12,000 MBAs from some of the very top uh, business schools in the country, like University of Chicago Booth or Northwestern or Kellogg School at Northwestern, by way of example. So, um, companies that are here thriving are seeking that talent and a lot of engineering talent as well coming out of schools like Michigan State or Michigan and uh, um, uh, Purdue, Notre Dame. And so, um, I think today it continues to be a war for talent and to capture and retain um, that talent and is uh, is a top topic of all CRE executives at, at every big corporation and every C-suite officer, frankly, we see as yeah. well.
0: What are some examples, Bob, that, that you're seeing in some of these spaces that, that might be unique uh, in that regard?
3: You know, it's interesting. McDonald's just moved in from Oak Brook to the city from a campus where they... You know, they had their uh, Hamburger University and their entire corporate operation housed in a very beautiful, idyllic, suburban setting. But in order to access the talent that they were looking to achieve, they ultimately made a decision to move into the city and, and anchor, actually, a, a, a building that they totally occupy. And it's very unique. It's a, kind of a free address uh, system. It's uh, unassigned seating virtually throughout the facility, the CEO And C-suite officers sit in open plan stations, a lot of benching, um, a tremendous amount of technology to allow people in that space to work anytime, anywhere, in any seat inside the entire envelope. And they have test kitchens and um, they have food services and balconies and workout facilities and concierge services that... Are almost like a hotel experience. Um, when you walk in, it's it's a completely different feel than what you have seen historically in corporate headquarters. And, and I it, think that concept of the concierge uh, field, the ability to uh, take care of all the things you need to do during the day, including your work, is a, is dealt with dealt with in a facility like that. And we've seen similar facilities being built for Google. They're they're doubling their footprint in Chicago. So is Facebook. And so is Salesforce. Uh, So we we see um, very innovative, very technology-enabled space happening in our market. And the trade-off is densities. Densities are going way up. Um, We're seeing some firms that are uh, deploying people at 100 to 125 square feet per uh, desk seat that is going to be utilized. And that's not even that's not. That's just the actual square footage allocation before they lever it with unassigned seating or hoteling strategies.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And these tenants that you talked about, uh, these technology and social media-type tenants and and McDonald's as well that are looking for something creative, something that would grab the attention for recruiting and retention, are they gravitating towards more of the older, unique, historic-type buildings or gravitating more towards tall glass?
3: It's it goes across the board. Uh, Facebook is going into a new glass tower. Salesforce is rumored to be close to anchoring a new 60 or 57-story tower that could come up in the city. I, I won't say where because it hasn't happened yet. But we're also seeing um, a lot of firms going into what's called the the West Side Fulton Market corridor where, uh, you know, the McDonald's building, by way of example, is a ground-up new development, but it looks like and feels like a loft building that was built at the turn of the century. And uh, Google's headquarters was a conversion of a cold storage warehouse into an office building with a new building built around it, essentially, to get sort of the best of both worlds, old and new. But all the buildings on the near west side, tend to look like and feel like uh, loft buildings, whereas down in the core you get the standard more vertical glass-enclosed box towers.
0: Yeah, that sounds really interesting, building a new building around an old one. And and Bob, when these companies come in and and they're such dense environment, and you mentioned down to 125 square feet per employee, and that's before you, you do the shared desk. So um, are any of concern with wellness and, and productivity of having people, you know, that close? And then, as the as the job environment continues to be so strong, it, are some of these employees, like, hey, you know, I can't move my elbows. Maybe I should look at a, at a at a company that gives me more room.
3: You know, that's a that's a great question, and the and wellness is a top priority in the whole uh, vocabulary of recruiting because today, people are very concerned with how they live, what they eat, the exercise they get. and So that has to be taken into consideration in these new facilities. I'll say that one of the most interesting trends is that for every seat that a company creates, they tend to create a collaboration seat. And that's a seat in some other location within the facility, whether it's a four-person or six-person huddle room, whether it's a work cafe that can seat 150 to 200 people for meals and, uh, and double as a working space during the day, whether it's a conference facility that has conference rooms for 6, 8, 10, 12, 20, 40 people, training rooms, The ratio tends to be a one-to-one ratio of seats designed for people to be assigned to at any given time during a day and seats that those people can go to to collaborate, get away, make quiet calls. Um, We we see the deployment in lots of spaces today of two-person calling or meeting rooms where it's a sound-attenuated or soundproof structure where they can go in and get quiet time to make a call or do heads-down work where they can't deal with all the noise. So there's a lot of trade-offs happening for that compression. So you have to make sure when you're planning these kinds of facilities that you give people a place that they can get away to, because um, it is dense when you're benched at 60 or 70 square feet per seat.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And I guess uh, most all of these tenants are really using the technology to find out, you know, which which spaces are open and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, they have whole uh, uh naming characteristics and mapping and uh and badging systems so that you know where conference facilities are and that you can make room reservations literally at the front door with a with a, ca- a crestron or some other kind of mobile device attached to the wall that shows you if it's available you can book it. If you've booked it and it's available it'll show red and for 15 minutes and if you don't sit in the room it'll go back to green and make it available so the technology that drives all this um ability to seat people in lots of different places at any given point in time becomes the mainstay of what makes these kinds of new spaces function properly and it's also about untethering the workers from the telephone and their and their and their hardwired connections for their Laptops and desktops.
0: Right. And I guess with some of this technology too, you can actually see where an employee is in the space. Since he doesn't have an assigned desk, you might need to find someone, right?
3: Big brother's watching, no doubt about it. (laughs) You know, that's it's one of the good you know, there's the good and the bad. I mean, with all of this technology, people know virtually where you are, when you are there, how long you were there, what you were doing. So, you know, there there's the downside of this kind of living in a technology-enabled workplace, but the upside created in productivity and, and the key attribute of retaining your workforce is worth the investment many companies are finding.
0: Yeah. The C-suite, the leaders of the companies that you're working with, are you finding that they are trying to attract some of those employees that maybe worked at home, worked out of office, and trying to build an environment where they want to work in the office?
3: For sure. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. But at the same time, those, those two suite officers are cognizant of the fact that people want to not have to live through two hour commute times or hour and a half commute times. And so they're giving people the rights to work remotely. And they realize that certain types of, certain generations, certain generational groups tend to work at different times. There's, people that like to work late in the afternoon and into the evening and people who like to work early in the morning and get out early and get home or work from home a day or two a week. And so, I I think the companies that we work for that we see are adapting to that and are encouraging that in many instances because it helps them deploy more people in less real estate and make people happier with their work-life balance as long as they're productive that's what they care about and so they're giving people the tools to be productive and be remote and remote isn't just being remote from your station sitting in an office you can be remote within the headquarters facility or the office facility or remote at a client or remote on vacation or remote at home right. that's the way companies are thinking today
0: right and you're saying that some people may uh, groups may work better in the afternoon and. Some maybe more in the morning. And, uh, but what do you do with these employees that just don't like to work at any time?
3: Then you've got a problem yeah. with that employee. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the ex- expectation today is if you're given the tools and you're giving the, given the access and you have a, a compelling job to do, they expect you to do it. That's and right. so the, the, the tools that they're deploying today help people get their job done and live their lives hopefully better. And that's yeah. that's what it's really all about is the uh, workforce of the future is going to be a much more mobile workforce. And by the way, that doesn't necessarily mean it's just young people. Yeah, right. um, I'm a boomer actually at the back end of my boomer career. And I use all these tools and I feel really excited about it because it gives me the ability to work anytime, anywhere I want and do other things while I'm working.
0: Yeah. Well I want to work on a bench next to you just so I can hear you work. I wanna have 30, <laughs> 30, 35 thirty thirty five years experience. So Bob what careful would careful you, what you work for. <laughs> what you for. So Bob, what would you leave our audience with? Uh, maybe for a C suite, a corporate user, a leader of a company to think about uh, in their space design and, and in the process.
3: Well, that's, a, that's a really great question. And I think it's, it, it boils back to that real estate and the technology that sits in the real estate is an envelope that gets around the culture of the business you're trying to build and the behaviors you're trying to get your employees to work with and to continue to, to build upon. And so we tell our companies, you know, first thing is let's do a more in-depth, di- dive around workplace strategy about what it is you're trying to achieve and what kind of change you're looking to pursue and then customize a real estate business solution that delivers those behavioral changes and hopefully that means more profit for the organization because that's what businesses are about they're about making profit they're about building building products And it's the people and process that gets that job done. And so many we see forward-leaning executives today really spending time on culture and change management and then positioning real estate to achieve those objectives that they identify as profit-making behaviors.
0: (laughs) Well said and great advice as usual. Bob, thank you for joining us, sir.
3: You bet, Michael, Anytime.
0: Thank you. And thank Thank you you. for joining us around the country or around the world. We appreciate uh, you sharing the show and commenting. And do let us know what you think. What do you think are some of the trends that uh, are in the future for office users uh, in the U.S. or anywhere in the world? And thanks for joining us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, asset and occupancy solutions. Bomi.org, property and facility management education. Real Crowd, crowdfunding with professionals. The News Funnel, real estate news personalized. Commercialagentsuccess.com, video training from Michael Bull. To access these great companies or for more videos, podcasts, and articles, visit creshow.com.